Welcome to Sorry for Apologizing. I'm your host, Missy Modell, activist, strategist, and recovering chronic apologizer. In this podcast, we'll explore all of the ways women have been conditioned by society to play small, whether it's being expected to have children, tolerate chronic pain, or accept gender inequities from orgasms to paychecks. This season, we'll work to challenge the cultural beliefs that brought us here and discuss all of the reasons why we should be asking for forgiveness rather than permission. It is time to stop apologizing. Sorry for apologizing. According to the CDC, one out of every five women deal with heavy menstrual bleeding, also known as menorrhagia. We're supposed to feel embarrassed about the thing that happens so regularly that it's called a cycle? I don't think so. Uvi Cotex wants everyone to treat the most normal thing like it's the most normal thing. So check out their full range of pads, tampons, and liners to find out what works best for your period at uvicotex.com. 43% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages end in divorce, and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. I did not know this. I would assume that the more marriages you had, the more likely you are to stay together. Clearly, this isn't the case. You'd think after all that experience, it would be easy to make it work, right? But it all comes down to choice. We all need to make the choice to do the work, to identify past patterns, to heal past traumas, but we're not necessarily doing that. We're losing the way we connect to others and ourselves. Religion is on the decline, and people are seeking community and connection more than ever before. We're lonely. And our guest today is trying to solve all of this. Julie Rice is the co-founder of the fitness phenomenon Soul Cycle. I'm sure you've heard of it. She's devoted her life to building brands, community, and the customer experience. She's now the co-founder of Peoplehood, based in New York and virtually, a guided group conversation practice designed to help people create new relational habits. It's an incredibly exciting company, and I'm so excited to have her on today. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be here. And I just want to dive right in. So for people that maybe don't know you directly, they know one of your first children, which would be SoulCycle. Yes. So how did that even happen? Let's just get into that. Absolutely. I had been living in Los Angeles. I had a whole other career before SoulCycle. I was a talent agent and I lived in LA for almost 10 years. I met my husband there. I'm from New York, but I, I moved there to follow my career. And when I decided to move back to New York, I looked all around for exercise that was like what I had experienced in LA, which was social. It was joyful. I'd go hiking with my friends. I'd go biking in Santa Monica. I belonged to a running club. My whole social life was really based around exercise. And I came back to New York. And at that time, circa, you know, 2004, there was big box gyms. There were boot camps. You could compete against your neighbor. And what I really did not see happening in New York was exercise as lifestyle, joy through movement. And so I really saw a white space around it. And I will say I'm sort of a weird theater kid. I grew up always participating in theater productions and I love to collaborate. I love music. I love sets. I love actors. I mean, that's really why I loved representing talent. I love artists. I love people that can make magic. And I just saw a chance to really turn exercise into a small production. And what would it look like if we did it differently, right? If we branded it, if we made it an experience, if it was in that one hour that people were with us, it was sort of curtain up when you walked across the threshold from when the front desk said hello to you to curtain down when you walked out. And so that's really the way that we thought about it. And everybody thought that we were crazy to do a paper class model because at the time, the model of fitness was 
get somebody's credit card swipe, charge them monthly, hope that they actually don't show up because group fitness at gyms is not actually a profit center. The way the big box gyms make money is from personal training. And so the more memberships you can sell when people don't show up, the better. But we really felt like creating a one-off experience and challenging people to re-sign up every time was a test for us. It meant that we had to be just as good every single time that you came as we were the last. And so it was really an experiment in delivering on a promise and creating hospitality and more than anything, creating a community. And I will really say at the end, I'm a real joiner. My, my girlfriend sent me a screenshot the other day from her gorgeous gym in her building. And she said, I'm the only person here. You should come work out with me. And I thought I would never do that. Where's the 50 people and the music and the time that it starts at and everybody cheering for each other? I love to join things. I love communities. I love neighborhoods. I love theater production. And so for me, the biggest thrill about creating Soul Cycle is really being a part of that community. It's so funny you say theater because I viscerally remember, and even when I go to classes now, the candles and the mood. At, it, you're right. It's very cinematic. And that was never there before in that landscape. Listen, we experience design the whole thing. I mean, it's not scripted verbatim, but there is an outline of an emotional, a spiritual, a physical and a musical arc that we take you through. And that is the way that we train our instructors. And if they do it, you're really taken on a hero's journey every single time you take a soul cycle class. And that's that is what we aim for. And at the end of the day, our goal was for people to find joy, to find empowerment and to find each other on those bikes. And it was a thrill. We watched cities turn into neighborhoods and strangers mm -hmm. turn friends. And even today, if I'm waiting at a gate of an airport and there's somebody else with a wheel and we're both wearing our wheels, there's a real sort of, I got it. You got me and I got you type of vibe. And that's amazing, actually, especially in today's world. And why do you think that's so important? Because I know you are such a community builder. That's, I feel like, core to who you are. Why do you think we need that right now more than ever? Listen, connection and feeling like we matter, especially on this planet, is, which is so disconnected, it's, it is actually the thing that is the most important to human beings in this whole world, which is ironic because we spend so little time intentionally thinking or working on our relationships. Think about all the people you'll take a Zoom meeting with during the day that you'll never talk to again. You don't really have a purpose to be on that call with. And yet it's on your calendar. And so you'll make that hour and you'll dutifully do it. But mm -hmm. if your best friend needs to talk for an hour at night and you're too tired or you should call your mom and spend that hour catching up with her, somehow it just kind of it may or may not happen. We just we don't prioritize. We don't intentionalize those moments of connection. And without really doing something like that, we're watching people more scrolling, more isolation since the pandemic. And it's it's tough because you can see our Surgeon General, who's amazing and who is completely focused on our loneliness epidemic, has let us know that our social relational health is the number one predictor of the types of lives that we're going to live both physically and mentally. And so mm. it's time for us to really think about that. And for me, I actually find so much joy being, I know that you and I were both at the Knicks game last night mm. and that sense of everybody rooting for something. It was like for one of the first times, especially in a crazy world right now, you're in that stadium with tens of thousands of people and everybody is hoping for the same outcome and offering each other politely. Can I stand up while you're getting out of the aisle? You need some of my popcorn, what, whatever it is. 
it's amazing. I mean, it's really amazing. And that's really what we found at SoulCycle. And I really live for experiences like You'll love this. One of my best friends, we were live, were roommates at the time when I think it was what, 2010, 2011. And her dad, kind of, they cut her off for family. And the only thing they paid for was her therapy, which was soul cycle. That was my kid has a very strict budget for college. But the one item that I've taken out of the budget, I said, you can do as much group fitness as you like and we'll mm-hmm. pay because it's therapy. Did you hear stories from women in particular? Because I feel like there was something around my female friends and going to group fitness and soul cycle and classes like that, that really empowered them in a way and emboldened them in a way that they'd never felt before. And I wonder what you think that is. Absolutely. Listen, we heard it from women and men. And the mm-hmm. truth is, of course, women were the early adopters. Yeah. But yeah, I like to always say that in New York, when I was working behind the front desk, People would say to me, they pull me aside after a class or a ride and they say, you know, I came here to lose a little weight, but that's not really what really happened for me. Yeah. I, I've been riding since September and in the last six months, I've gotten up the strength through doing this to change my job or tell my husband that I want to go to couples therapy with them or whatever the changes that people worked themselves up to make in those dark rooms. They really had those moments of empowerment. and. I used to love to say when I was setting up first-time riders for the first time, I would, of course, when I was working at the studio, which was for a long time, I would walk them into the room and nobody could click into the bike and the shoes were hard and the bike felt uncomfortable. Everybody's tush hurt. Nobody could get the beat. And I would say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to, the music's going to start and the instructor's going to start yelling out things and you're not going to be able to keep up. You're going to hate this and you're out of breath and then you're going to put the resistance on and you're thinking, there's no way I can do this. I said, and then there's going to be one moment, it's going to be 15 seconds long, and the instructor is going to tell you that you could be more than you thought you were, and the music is going to fall on the right beats, and all of a sudden, your feet are going to be moving with the people on your left and your right. I said, and that is going to last for 15 to 25 seconds, and then you're going to look at the clock and think, oh my goodness, I've still got to do this for 20 minutes. I said, but that 20 seconds is going to tell you to come back next time, and you will fall in love with that feeling. And that is the truth. There is always in those rooms aha moment where you think you can be more than you thought you were, where you feel empowered by the people around you, where you feel like a part of something. And I think that those moments, when you stack them, like any sort of habit stacking or any kind of a practice or anything that you eventually can tangibly feel in your body, I like to describe it as like tingles in your toes and fingers. Mm-hmm. We have those moments sometimes. And I think when you begin to stack those moments, they make real change for you. Mm-hmm. They really do create change. They empower you to make that change. And I even wonder, like you going out with this brand new idea with your partner, Elizabeth, like how did you even have the courage to do that? Is that just who you are intrinsically? Did you face any aversion? Because you really created something that had not existed. I just want to reiterate for the very few people that probably don't know what this is. First of all, I think we had no idea how hard it would be, to be honest yeah. with you. I think we thought we were starting a gym. Actually, what we were doing was creating a category. Yeah. Because in New York, I, I like to bring people back to sort of 2006 when we launched. There was no Lululemon. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Lulus had just landed in New York from Canada and they had a third floor showroom five blocks from us. And they used to bring us these tights nobody had ever seen as a gift for letting us ride in the studio for free. People weren't carrying green juice yet. Lifestyle was not yet a category. Wellness was not Mm. something we were thinking about. And so we were kind of inventing this category with a couple of other people. And so, you know, I always talk about the day, the first time the New York Times wrote an article about us, 
And I remember I had a five-month-old baby at the time, and I remember handing Phoebe to Spencer and saying, I might be gone for a week. My phone's going to be ringing off the hook. I'm going to go to the studio. You take the baby, and I'll let you know when things free up for me. And guess what? Yeah. Nobody called. Wow. Because nobody could understand it. Paper class, standalone fitness studio in the rear lobby of a building on 72nd Street. I mean, it was crazy. And so we worked for a long time to create a category. And then, of course, we worked for a long time to create a business. But we did not know how hard it would be. And so I'm working on a second startup now. And I love to say that ignorance is bliss because mm -hmm. this time actually feels a lot harder. I have bigger expectations. Um, I kind of understand the road that lies ahead. And at the time, though, I will say we really just put one foot in front of the other. And Elizabeth, my business partner, I like to always say, Elizabeth is a great entrepreneur and I am a very hard worker. She is an excellent risk taker. Whenever I see her mom, I like to say to her, what did you, how did you raise this child that she's so confident? Yeah. Elizabeth like channels something higher and she hears it in her body and then she just makes the choice and doesn't look back. I'm like neurotic and Jewish and I make the yeah. choice, read it for a day and then I question <laughs> myself and then I have to spend a week suffering through it. Did we do the right thing? But Elizabeth is fabulous. Like she will just make a great choice and keep moving. And if it's a mistake, it's a mistake. She used to say to me sometimes when we would make mistakes, she'd say, you know what? Neither of us have an MBA. We didn't pay tuition. We're just learning on the job. Think of it as our tuition. Uh, and the, the last thing I will say is having a great business partner, another woman who we could be each other's support system really helped. We're very different people. We always have a common vision. But on days that the computers would crash or we'd have financial issues and I thought we've got to close the doors, she would think that's no big problem at all. And on days when employees were unhappy or PR went bad, she would like come, this is over. And I would say, oh no, this is not a thing. We can fix this. And so mm. really had different skill sets that were very complementary to each other. And we were able to kind of work through a lot of stuff that way. And it's hard to find that person. That's a marriage. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that success story or, and some people do, and they start a second business, third business with that person. Are there, do you have any tips for identifying what makes a partnership work or how to, yeah, how do you yeah. do like, this marriage going? So it's really interesting because the new business that I'm working on, Peoplehood, is all about relational health, how you create healthy relationships. And here's the answer. You work on that. Choosing has actually nothing to do with it. My husband and I have gone and done this really interesting marital seminar quite a few times. And they always introduce the seminar by saying that first marriages have 50% divorce rates. Second marriages has 73% divorce rates. And third marriages have 90% divorce rates. And so what does that teach you? It teaches you that it doesn't matter who you pick. If you don't continue to work on the way that you communicate, the way that you grow together and put real time and energy around a relationship, a business partnership, a marriage, a friendship, a siblingship, you can't imagine that these things will just take care of themselves. And so Elizabeth and I started seeing a business coach in our first year of business. We see the same coach today, 20 years later. We've learned how to communicate with each other in a way where we each bring ideas to a meeting. We just listen. We make no decisions. She presents her case. I present mine and we go home. And then we come back the next day after we've had a chance to actually process somebody else's thoughts. And the next day, inevitably, I have seen it her way and she has seen it my way and we can move forward. And that's exactly what we're teaching people in the rooms at PeopleHood. We practice something very similar where... 
we really practice the listening, being a listener and being a sharer. And what does it feel like to just have that time to peel the layers of your own onion while somebody else is just listening to you? And then what does it feel like to really receive what somebody else is saying without judging them, without trying to connect to them, without giving them your advice, your opinion? It really does ultimately change a conversation pattern. And Elizabeth and I and my husband and I have worked very hard, both in 20-year relationships, to create a different kind of communication. And I think that's really what it takes to have a successful partnership. And just to be happy with yourself even, right? Because I feel like a lot of that is inner work. A lot of it is inner work. Like anything in life, it's no surprise when we take a pause to actually reflect so much of what we do, so much of what we say, so much of what we feel just comes from a place of ego or self-protection or hurt feelings or the fact that we're all trained to win. And I think sometimes when you really take a minute to sit with something, which we never do, you can really really understand your own perspective differently. You can really understand your own happiness, your own self-worth. You can make different decisions for you, uh, as well as for someone you love. For my husband and I, we started to be unable to communicate around the time we had our first daughter, mm-hmm. because all of a sudden we went from being two people that could be in this great fun relationship, but still do whatever we wanted when we wanted to, yeah. to being two people that really had to make sacrifices and compromise. and. We were having one conversation about whatever the topic was, whether it was who was going to come home early to watch the baby, who was unloading the dishwasher, who was doing what. And the conversation was really always the same, right? Whose time is more important? Who is more important here? That was the conversation. And ultimately, you learn to diffuse these conversations and get to a point of, I feel rather than I want to retaliate. Or you are this person. You were versus like, you made me feel this way. Correct. And that really changes the dynamic, especially when you love somebody. Your intention is not to hurt them or to make them feel bad in a relationship. We're just all out there protecting ourselves all the time. And so when you really do step back and take a minute, it's really unbelievably powerful. And just speaking of your dynamic, because in our brief but powerful time together as friends, we talked about your dynamic and how you did start this company and how did you negotiate what time is valuable because you're out there working and building. How did you figure out what works for you two as a couple and as a family? I would say that we've been married for a long time and things have obviously changed over time as well. I think that for Spencer and I, we have always, we because we are able to communicate, we've always been able to navigate pretty well. I think that any relationship is a give and take and There are always moments in a relationship where if you are a supportive, loving partner, you can look at the other person and say, oh, that person really needs me right now. And and that's kind of the way that we navigate our relationship, whether, and with my children too, people always ask me as a mom, how do I handle work-life balance? And I always say, you know, I'm just really in touch with my kids and the days that I know that they need me. And I'm also really in touch with my business and there are days that my business needs me. And I make the best choice that I can toggling back and forth between those two things. And nothing is perfect, but it's kind of a game time decision. Some days people in my office know I had to clear my calendar today. My kid had a bad day yesterday or she's homesick and she just needs her mom. Or my kid has to understand, like, I can't come to something because I need to go speak at something. And there are 2000 people sitting in an auditorium and they didn't schedule your book report reading out loud until yesterday. 
And you know what? It's okay. It's really okay. I think all of those things are okay. Life is a series of choices. And I actually feel like as long as you are in good touch with all the parts of your life, you can make good decisions. I love that so much. It's interesting, like the idea of choice. And I think a lot of women who choose to focus on their career, like even for me, I'll be honest, like just turned 37. I've been very career focused and I feel this almost pressure. I do feel it like societal pressure to almost shrink a little bit. We're used to having the man lead and the man be the dominant personality. So that's something that I struggle with a little bit. Like how do I remain my like expressive full self being out in the dating world? We talked about this a little bit. I'm just, I would love to hear your opinion. My opinion is that you have to find somebody who gets your expressive full self. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Again, people always ask me, how did your girls feel about you being such a working mom and whatever? And I always say, my girls know who I am. I'm the same me in front of my girls as I am when I am at work. Like my girls see who I am. They would think it was weird if I wasn't getting dressed in the morning with them to go out and live my day and have something that I'm excited about at the table that night and waiting for my turn to share also. That's who I am. And again, when you talk about choices, I couldn't have made a different choice. But like I said to you, I'm a joiner. I love collaboration. I love teams. I love learning. And so for me, I will always put myself in the center of those things because it keeps me alive. It keeps me engaged in the world. And I think for my kids and for my husband, me being a person that's engaged in the world is good for them. My kids see a mom, but also a person that is continuing to grow and learn and be interested. And I think that finding a partner that understands who you are and what you need is most important. I love to tell young people that are dating, I always say, the first thing I always say is you can't date somebody's potential. So we all, meet, through. we all meet people and they're not quite right now, but we can see who they're going to be. And we spend years and years dating who they're going to be. And whether or not they're ever going to be that is, is, is a total question mark. And usually they're not. I always say people, when people tell you who they are, you should believe them because that is who they have the capacity to be. But it's the same thing in the other way too. If you show somebody who you are, if you are able to be the real you, then somebody can make a decision about if they are compatible with that. My husband and I showed up in our relationship and I was a workaholic. In fact, we have a lot of funny stories. I love working. We have a lot of funny stories about, there were a couple of times we both worked in the movie business when we both worked on deals together. And we were in the middle of one, we were in the middle of one very important deal. And let's just say that we were closing a deal for a client that was bigger than either of us had ever worked on. And I get a text from him saying he's going to have to drop off the call because his fantasy football draft is starting. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this 20-something-year-old guy is dropping off like a $2 million movie deal, which was the biggest thing that we had ever seen. And sure enough, like 30 seconds later, I am on the phone with the publicist, client's wife, lawyer, and there's no E, there's like a dial tone. There's no agent (laughs) to be found. And what made it worse is the agent is like my new live-in boyfriend. Did that turn you off? Or you're like, yep, that's the man I love. You know what? We, we're both who we are. We're both who we are. Yeah. And I'm just, so all I'm saying is we always, we came to the relationship the same way we are in the relationship. And I think that's really important. I do. To have to shrink for anybody does not end up in a good place. 
And also I feel like I make the fatal error of projecting. I just, my mom calls me shallow hell in the sense that I think everyone's beautiful and I think everyone's amazing. And I see everybody through these rose colored glasses, but it comes to a detriment even in dating because I am at, I give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe too much. And I put them on this, I ascribe to them as perfect, imperfect, you know what I mean? Like just, they're great and let yes. things fall to the wayside when they shouldn't, when I should not. People, it's funny, when you trace things back, whether it's a friend that disappointed you, a colleague, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, the honest to God's truth is when you really get honest with it, you can trace it back to the moments where somebody showed you who they were going to be. Yeah. And so you're obviously so in tune with the human condition, I'll say. And you didn't have, I don't know, but you could have done anything. Why did you choose peoplehood as the venture to step into next? And did you know you wanted to do something equally as ambitious as SoulCycle? Because this is a huge, you're building another category. Yeah. Look, first of all, I will say, I'm not sure I'm the most, I'm in touch with a lot of human condition. I think that if, if you wanted to do a follow-up to this, you could talk to my husband who would probably tell you I'm not that self-aware in a lot of different ways. <laughs> but I will say, Elizabeth and I really had been thinking about this for a long time because what we witnessed at SoulCycle was so special, watching the way that people could connect with each other and they would leave these dark rooms and the music would stop and the instructor would go away and they understood what it felt like to actually feel the way that they did about the person on their left and their right. And yet they didn't have the tools to express those things. They didn't have spaces to have conversations like that. And I think as time has gone on and watching the way that the world is moving, I have two daughters, one's 12, one's 18. I look at the six-year age difference between them and the way even you'd think an 18-year-old would be terrible on social media. But the truth is, her social media habits are so much less than even my 12-year-old. Generation gap, even in those six years, is wild to watch, right? My 12-year-old never watch a movie. A movie is a format that is not tolerated for children that age. A TV show, a half an hour sitcom is almost too long. Her consumption long form is YouTube. Like three minute videos, three to eight. Yeah. Watching what is going on in the world and the way that religion is on the decline. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to offices anymore. TikTok is robbing young people of their attention spans. The question is, how are we going to get these humaning skills back? We are stripping things that were innate to us out of the human condition. We are taking away the opportunities to love and be loved by other people. And really, Elizabeth and I create things that we want to participate in ourselves. We create products that we want to use. I always like to say, yes, there's a small business plan, but usually it's more of a calling. Mm -hmm. And that's what this one felt like also. And so Listen, it is hard. This one's harder than last time. Convincing people that they want to sit in a room and talk to each other about the way that they feel or have an epiphany or, by the way, become more self-aware because self-awareness is hard. Whether you realize something great or whether you realize something difficult, processing is hard. But I really believe like those moments at SoulCycle where you get those tingles in your fingers and your toes, you also, that's what self-awareness feels like. It's those same tingles. And when you begin to compound those moments, I also think you begin to change over time. Mm -hmm. And that is really interesting. 
to me the way the way that people can change. Listen, in the same way that I told you you can't date somebody's potential, I also do believe people can change. But the thing is, people have to want to change and change is work. And so people have, we're trying to, we're really trying to help make change accessible. And there's lattes and there's cool hoodies and it's a great brand and it's all the fun and all the music and all the yeah. great people leading these gathers. And it's a mission. It's, it's another mission and we'll see. I'm a lot older now. <laughs> is there a prompt you'd want to give to our listeners today just to sit with and reflect on something that, that has sat with you as like a helpful? Sometimes I like to think about what's a conversation that I wish had gone differently. And that could be a conversation you decided not to have. That could be a conversation that you were quick to put your point of view or shut somebody down or interrupt them. But sometimes I think back on conversations that that I wish that I or that I'd wish that I'd handled differently. And I like to think about how I might have handled that. That's wonderful. I love that. And just being the unapologetic, incredible person that you are, we ask everybody, what are you sorry for apologizing for? First of all, I'm sure like almost every other woman out there that listens to this podcast, especially with, when you're a working mom, it always feels, I, I feel like I do a good job being a mom and I do a good job being a CEO but I would never prioritize myself because that is just something that doesn't fall on the calendar. And the only thing I do have, and not even guilt around, but the only thing that I do sometimes feel sort of apologetic for is the 30 minutes that I need to take to get my roots touched up or a morning that I feel like, God, it would be like great to have a cup of coffee and just read an article that I'd like to look at rather than getting on the treadmill so quickly. I don't mean the physical treadmill, that would be fine. (laughs) That would be part of the self-care. So it's interesting. I think at age 53, I think I'm finally ready to stop apologizing for needing a little time to take care of myself. That's so good. And we don't do enough of that. We definitely don't. We, especially in the we can do it all working, working woman world, usually doing it all means I can walk around for two weeks with gray roots in my head. You still have that pressure on yourself to not give yourself time? Sadly, it is. I do think it's the DNA of an entrepreneur and founder, there's always a way to be more productive, make more hours in the day. But, but I'm really, that is really what I'm, I'm sort of done apologizing for. I'm really trying to figure out how to have a little bit more balance. And by, I mean, just sort of balance for me. Thank you so much. How can we find you? How can we hear more wisdom? Oh yeah, more wisdom. Definitely everybody should come check out peoplehood.com. And if people say that they heard me on this podcast, we'll give people a free gather. I'll give you some sort of a little promo code or something to give. Wow. Okay. Promo code. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. The promo code will be sorry. You just go to, you can just go to peoplehood.com to find us. Perfect. And what about you? How do we find you? Oh, how do you find me? Oh, yeah. You, you can find me at Soul Founders on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Thank Yay. you for your time. You're just the best. So are you. Thanks, Julie. Thank you for listening to Sorry for Apologizing, brought to you by Rescripted. If you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our amazing guests. To stay in the know, follow me at Missy Modell on Instagram and TikTok or head to rescripted.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe. 